Hey, everybody. Welcome out to another fun-filled episode of Burnt Popcorn. I'm your co-host, Mike Laidman, and I am joined with none other than... Laura Laidman. Each and every week, we take a movie from our past, and we have a look back and see if it's just nostalgia keeping our high praise of classic films afloat, or if it really is the real deal and worthy of all the adulation. How are you doing, hon? I'm good, thank you. Yeah. A tired, but good. A little tired? Eh, I went for brunch. Oh, I thought you were a little from brunch. I but. might have been, but it's gone now. <laughs> well, we are we are not alone no, this week. No, we, we actually we have a guest, and we have somebody that uh, we're podcasting with for the very first time. Please welcome a chibi UFO to the show. Hello, howdy, hello, and how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. I've been pretty excited to uh, do this podcast and uh, preparing my notes for it and just rewatching the movie and just uh, getting a good vibe and feel for it because uh, I'm a 90s baby and uh, getting another chance to relive uh, the mid 90s is always a nice slice of nostalgia for me. So seeing uh, that 1996 year and era for the movie in particular really just brought me back of just the Super Nintendo feigning and, you know, ending its console run and the Nintendo 64 coming soon, uh, other hit movies hitting the scene in 1996, just all that nostalgia. Well, thank you. We put the call out on Twitter for people who wanted to talk about this movie. And thankfully, you came to our aid because I have a feeling based on my notes, I'm really not going to have a lot to say. (laughs) And there's going to be a lot of conversation between the two of you. But without further ado, the movie we're talking about this week, we will be talking about The Craft, which originally hit theaters back in 1996. To the other kids at St. Bernard Academy, they were the girls who didn't belong. Whatever you do, stay away from them. Why? They're witches. But after years of being on the outside... Why'd you lie about me? I don't want to go out with you again. Please, stop begging. It's pathetic. Four girls are about to discover the dark side. You ever heard of invoking the spirit? Black magic. We can make things happen. I mean, this is it. This is real. (laughs) The craft. Girls, watch out for those weirdos. (laughs) We are the weirdos, mister. The month is May of 1996. On May 9th, Getty Lee of Rush is made an officer of the Order of Canada. Ooh. Nice. May 10th. Twister, a film that I would love to cover, is released to theaters starring Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton. Oh, Bill Paxton. Uh, May 14th, Antonio Banderas weds Melanie Griffith, which I thought they were married a lot longer than that. But I think they've split up now. Oh. And continuing something we've discussed before, Susan Lucci loses the Daytime Emmy Awards for the 16th time. Do you think we can hit all 16 times? I hope so. It actually is now kind of a goal of mine <laughs> to like hit all six. We got what she won. Goodness gracious. Poor woman. She held out for so long. She finally got it. <laughs> but that brings us to The Craft, which was released on May 3rd, 1996. It is directed by Andrew Fleming and written by Peter Filardi, both of which I honestly didn't know going in and was kind of surprised that two men in the 90s made this movie when it resonates so well with women. Yeah. I found it interesting considering how many times I've seen this movie, especially claimed to be as feminist. I was like, oh, okay. Two men wrote this and directed this. All right. This is, huh. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, 
intrigued by that. Kind of took a, a something that surprised me and made me go, that's my own biases and I should not assume. I was kind of surprised too, considering when I looked at the director for the film and looked at what else he directed, I was like, okay, the craft almost makes sense because he's done movies like Bad Dreams, Threesome, Dick, The In-Laws, Nancy Drew, Hamlet 2, Barefoot, Ideal Home. I was like, oh, okay, so the craft actually makes a bit more sense now. Yeah, that that kind of makes more sense. Doing sort of an off-kilter movie about women, you know. Yeah, but the craft itself was a surprise hit. No one expected it to do it as well as it did. It actually beat out The Quest, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme for number one. And that means we can now do The Quest on this podcast. <laughs> because we do own it. I have more memories of The Quest than I have of this movie, that's for sure. <laughs> well, The Craft took in $6.7 million domestically and was number one for one whole week. So it still counts. It does count. It was beaten in week two by Twister, which took in... 41 million its first week, which broke Lethal Weapons 3 debut record for May release. That was then released two weeks later with Mission Impossible, which then broke that record again. <laughs> May was a busy month for film records. Now, Independence Day was the number one film of the entire year with 306 million, then Twister and Mission Impossible. The craft was number 73. With 24.8 million overall domestically. But you want to know what number 74 was? Scream. Oh, nice. 74, really? But here's the thing. Scream came out on December 18th. So for the year of 1996, Scream was only out in theaters for two weeks. So the fact that it actually, for the only for that year was 74. It was actually much higher in 1997 when it actually had most of its theater run. Oof. Okay, that, that makes more sense then. Yeah, that was the weird thing about Scream. It took a little while to take off. Like, its first week, it was a bit of a sleeper hit. Like, mm -hmm. it took from the word of mouth of people like, oh, no, this movie is actually really interesting and different. Let's go see it. Yeah. So, yeah, that is The Craft. Okay, well, I mean, I alluded to it earlier. My memories of this film... Or when you first forced me to watch it a few years ago when we started dating. And I clearly didn't remember it very well because you were like, how well do you remember it? And I gave you a brief plot synopsis and you were like, that's not right at all. It was all wrong. Everything <laughs> you said was like, what are you even talking about? I personally have watched this movie probably a dozen times, if not more. I remember watching it when I was in elementary school and just being i got it from the local video 99 which was a small chain here and i remember watching it and being like i'm a witch <laughs> like i was probably 12 when i saw it for the first time and literally i was like i want to be a witch i want to be a witch i want my friends to be witches i want to be a witch but the thing was like being a 12 year old 13 year old girl like you deal with these sorts of jealousies and the competition between these groups of friends. And I had a group of girlfriends. There was four of us in this group of girlfriends. And every time we'd walk down the hall at school together in like a row of four, I was like, oh, we're the craft. <laughs> and every, everyone who watched this movie, who then had a group of girlfriends, a group of four and walked down the hall at school. I kid you not. Everyone thought they were the craft. Cause that movie started that thing. 
anyway, loved it. It really resonated with me because like, I, I wasn't even the Sarah of my friends group at best. I was Bonnie <laughs> and I just, maybe I was cause like the main, the leader, the, the Nancy of our group was very much a Nancy and I managed to get on her bad side all the time. So I was usually the one who was kind of shit on. Well, that's unfortunate. Mean girls. Mean girls. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Chibi, how about you? How, what, what were your memories of this film? Well, I remember this movie seeing an actual advertisement for it way back in 96 and just being kind of intrigued, but also catching this movie on cable years later and catching it multiple times on cable and recognizing the actresses. Because I grew up being such a big fan of Scream, I instantly realized Nev Campbell and I was like, oh my God, that's Nev Campbell. And then checking out the other cast and I'm like, Robin Tunney, yeah, I've seen her in some movies growing up. I remember my brother renting a, oh, Empire Records quite a few times when I was a kid and seeing that movie on a bunch of times. For it was a bulk, of course, Rachel True and Skeet Ulrich. And I mean, the dad was even played by Cliff DeYoung. So I was like, oh my God, this is such a impressive cast. Holy crap. So catching this movie so many times on cable and just recognizing the cast, I just, every single time I watched it, I, I remembered more, I, I thought more about this movie and just how much I enjoy it. Just that those pings of '90s nostalgia hitting me, as well as uh, you know, recognizing this cast and like, oh, I know this person from that movie, or I remember that person from that TV show, or I remember this person from that thing, like, and just being stunned and stark, being star-crossed and stunned by that every time I'd watch this movie. Yeah, like, and like, there's. One of the one of the first things I noticed about the movie when we started watching it, and you noticed the same thing, was Brecken Myers in it. And it feels like every movie that came out in like the nineties had to have Brecken Meyer in it. It was just yeah, like he was just yeah. I swear, I don't know what it was with nineteen ninety six, but Skeet Ulrich was in everything. And yeah. I will quote my own Twitter of something I said on this podcast recording day that I will say in this podcast. Skeet Ulrich, once a fuck boy, always a fuck boy. Yeah, it's very true. Like I've I've heard some things uh, lately that like he tends to go after much younger girls. Oh, uh, gross! Wow, he's literally the characters he plays. All right, that's perfect. Yeah, a little bit. Like, well, you know, it's the easiest when you're playing. Like a lie is best when it's wrapped in a truth or whatever. As it were, but yeah, like literally right off the hop, I was like, Brecken Meyer, forgot he's in it, just solidifies it as like peak mid 90s teen movie right there. And then you get immediately into the soundtrack, which like right off the bat, it was just, it was awesome. I was like, oh, the music took me right back. Uh, Great soundtrack. The, There's a lot of really. The soundtrack's fantastic. Oh, God. This is once again that just that. 90s that just hint this hit of the 90s and this is just I, it just blows me away our lady peace heather nova sponge letters to cleo love spit love matthew sweet tripping daisy jewel like you can't hit the 90s without finding a letters to cleo song it's just yes exactly ah. Well, one of the other 96, again, like these are like the first moments of this movie. I don't know who else might have noticed, but Nancy is wearing bobble hair ties. 
Rochelle is wearing some very 90s hair clips as well. And I was just like, I had all of those hair clips in the 90s. Those were very in and you would never see someone wearing them today. But they were super cool. (laughs) Okay, so talking about the rewatch. Yes. Right as soon as this movie started, you turned to me and you're, it was Robin Tunney, right? Tunney, Tunney. Yeah, Robin Tunney. Tunney. So you turned to me and you said, you say to me, you know, she filmed this right after Empire Records. And I'm like, uh-huh. And I don't remember Empire Records very well. I remember seeing it like a long time ago at like a at like a cousin's house or something. And then you're like, yeah, she filmed this right after Empire Records. So that's a wig because she shaved her head bald. Yep. And I it just well, this thing just popped in my head. And I spent the entire movie just going like, look at that wig. <laughs> like the whole movie. Any Anytime she was doing anything, I was like, that, oh, that's the wig. That's the wig. And then later on, there's a scene, and I'm I, this is jumping way too far ahead, but <laughs> there's a scene where, where she uses the glamour and she changes her hair color. Oh, it's and it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an absolutely terrible effect. But I mean, it's 1996, so you're allowed to have terrible effects. Yeah. But then they have a shot where it's just her with the hair, and it's not, the hair doesn't change colors back to being brown yet. But they just continue to have the same effect over the wig. And I was like, why didn't they just use a blonde wig for that shot? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that shot really, if just the, 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 look, the look of that shot is so just, I mean, I was reminded of this being the 90s when the shot with the butterflies, when they're, uh, they're hanging out in that park. Yeah. And after they do the summon spell, there's that thing of just that flow of butterflies and like the CGI on them. I'm like, oh God, yikes. Yeah, it's very much low budget CGI, which I love it for what it was, but I'm really glad we didn't watch some sort of upgraded Blu-ray quality version of it where like everything would have been right. Oh, no. If I can be brutally honest, uh, the movie actually still looks great uh, for being a Blu-ray. There's a couple of shots that, yeah, the special effects haven't particularly aged too well but it still looks like it still looks great it still looks great and the movie still looks really solid and well shot well that's actually really reassuring because i was like well we'll watch my old dvd copy and you know at least the effects some of them aren't great they're very 1996 low budget movie but at least on the dvd they're probably not as bad as on blu-ray but that's actually really reassuring to hear that they're not as bad as i expected we we almost we almost didn't end up watching that DVD copy because when it started up, that DVD was in full screen, and I was like, "Nope, Oof. we're out of this." No, oh. <laughs> but uh, but when the movie actually started playing, it went it went full widescreen, and I'm like, "Okay." The nostalgia of okay. full screen makes it. Yeah, like exactly. It. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I I I actually wish it was 1996. I've once I went back and started seeing the difference between like movies that I love watching the pan and scan versus like the regular thing. It's just like, oh no, this like completely ruined some of these movies. <laughs> but anyway, back to the, the just the movie in general. I I'm so happy you're here, Shiba UFO, because I have so few thoughts on this movie. <laughs> oh my god, no, no. Like I just like the whole time I'm like, I want to be a witch. There's a new witch store that opened up like not far up the street from us. I wanna go. I wish I lived in nineteen ninety six for so many reasons. Like this movie just makes me happy. The whole time. Anything anytime anything weird or like goofy happened, you turn to me and you'd be like, Oh, I love this movie. Like the whole time, I do love this the movie. whole time, and you were just like, "You're judging me, and you're judging this movie," and I was just kind of staring into space, just taking it all in. 
you know. <laughs> I will also note I was having some wine when we watched this, which made it very <laughs> enjoyable. But some of my notes do get a little like sloppy and it might be harder to read. But one of the first things <laughs> near the beginning of the movie, when Sarah starts hanging out with the girls, they go shopping for the first time. I was like, oh, I forgot Sarah's a murderer. Because she gets that guy right hit up by a car real yeah, no, early. And I was like, Ooh, guy, I I'm surprised that that was they were able to show that for the movie. Like, I know it, it, the movie's technically rated R, but like, it's a very light rated R. There's only one uh, usage of fuck. And I was really surprised by that. Well, that was the other thing. Because like one of the things they, the directors intentionally, because they wanted a high school audience. So they like aimed to get it to be a PG-13 and they, they kept all the guidelines to for the, everything to be PG thirteen, and then the MPA I, double A came back and was like, "Nope, R." And they're like, "Why?" It's like, "Nah, witchcraft." <laughs> yeah, which that's great. Like, oh. Well, it was so funny because I remember you specifically being like, "When this this homeless dude with the snake who keeps showing up and is like." You know, the I've doom guy. For you. Yeah, he's like, I found this snake. I had a dream where you die, which is yeah. just, you know, what you want to hear from a random dude on the street. But you're like, ah, this guy's not even in the movie that much longer anyway. And I'm like, does he just disappear? And then he walked into the street. And I'm like, is he about to get hit by a bus or something? It's like, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you're like, oh, right. And then he just got run over. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, right. Because Sarah kind of caused that. And like, I forgot how, like, I remembered Skeet Ulrich or Chris in this movie being unlikable, but I like him more as Billy in Scream. Than, like, he's more likable in Scream as a murderer yeah, as, no than kidding. he is as Chris. Guy who murders multiple people. But at least he was loyal to Sydney. Kind I guess, of. Until kind he of. tried to kill her. I'm, ironically, he was less of a fucking scummy piece of shit as as Billy in a relationship to Sydney than he was in this movie. Like, you could say he was a serial killer, but you could say at least he was not a rapist. See, exactly. And like, yeah, I feel like he definitely gets his comeuppance in this, but like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing. That's actually one of my few notes is when she she wishes because they all have their little circle where they all, you know, discover that they have their their powers and they all start wishing for things that they want. And Sarah's wish is to have this guy who was a total asshole to her like her so she could just treat him like shit. Like she didn't want to treat him like shit. She wanted him to love her because she loved him. And like, as someone who has been a, what are they, 17-year-old girl who's had a crush on mm. someone who didn't have a crush on them back and was kind of a jerk, I I made that wish despite knowing this guy is a piece of crap and I don't want to like be treated like that. My 17-year-old heart was, but if only he could find out he loved me, he would treat me well. Okay, well, oh, that God. said, though, whether or not she actually meant to treat him like shit, she treats him like shit for for a while, yeah. and and it was just kind of like, this is what you wasted your wish on. Everybody else's wishes make a little more sense in comparison. Well, that's because like Bonnie, because one of the characters, Bonnie, who's Nev Campbell, obviously was in a horrible fire as a child or something. And she's covered in scars on her like neck and back and arms, and so she wears long sleeves and everything. And she's getting like gene therapy, and she wishes to for Manon to take her scars and the whole thing. And then there's a scene fairly in the movie where she's wearing a t shirt. And her hair's pulled up and she has no scars. And it's long before the big reveal where she takes off her long sleeves and is wearing a t-shirt and has no scars. Uh And I was just kind of like, I think they put these scenes in the wrong order. 
because it was one of those things that now that I've watched it a few times, I went, oh, that's not right. But still, enjoyable. I thought that that was uh, rather interesting, too, that that effect, the, the, what that scene played out. I was like, yeah, okay, that was a little weird. And her, like, her scars kind of, like, do kind of come and go of how big they are. There's not a ton of continuity. And, like, at one point, like, they, they with the bandages all up her neck. But, like, other parts of the movie, there's nothing on her neck. And and then, speaking of their wishes, I forgot the racist shares my name. Oh, that's right. Christine Taylor, you bitch. Yeah, like, she, she does a great job. Like, sh- it's not super easy to be that unlikable yeah no kidding and instantly she's unlikable and like because i've seen her in other things and i like her like she's usually very fun and likable oh yeah definitely and she's like a bitch in this and i was like you know what good job being a terrible person christine taylor yeah that's (laughs) actually one thing that i wrote down was was just the, the way because i'm so used to seeing her as like a good person it was a surprise when she was like really shitty and racist. Yeah. And I remember when I watched Zoolander for the first time, which obviously she's like really like a good person and likable in that. And I remember being like, she looks familiar and not being able to place who she was. I didn't know she was Ben Stiller's wife and da 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 da. But like then discovering later that, oh my God, they're the same person. It was like mind blowing because there's such like, she's a really good actress. I wish she was in more, but like, Cause she she is very good. She she plays like the perfect L.A. blonde bitch in this. Like she's the stereotype. And, but I feel bad for Michelle. Like, cause I feel like out of all of them, she was probably the nicest one. Yeah, it was kind of weird with the third act where it's just like I felt bad that she was even in there in the house. I'm like, why is she even there? She's not as like terrible as a person as like the rest of the crew yeah because she you could tell she felt bad mm. for laura when her hair was like falling out but she didn't realize she was like oh, sh- oh this is my fault maybe i went too far but why though screw laura she's terrible Jesus. yeah like she was terrible like, but like it showed a really good side of rochelle that like yeah this person is a terrible person and deserves some comeuppance for it and then when she realized oh shit she's getting her comeuppance I feel bad. It showed her as like this, like, you know, again, there was depth to her character. But then later she was just like, I'll just do whatever Nancy tells me. And it was like. There's a point in the movie where I noticed that there's a switch that flips where both Nev Campbell and because I can't remember the character's name. Bonnie. Bonnie. Bonnie and. Rochelle. Rochelle. Bonnie and Rochelle. They're like still nice, even though everything is going well for them. And then. They go to that, or well, Nancy goes to the party and kills Skeet Ulrich. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when that happens, that's like, they're all in it to be bad from that point on. And there's not even like a moment in it where they say like, either you fall in line or you get out or, or even like, well, that's the kind of power I want to have or anything like that. They just go from being like, oh, maybe we should check and make sure everything's okay to being like, let's just do what we want. Ah, you know, like, and like, I can almost see like a bit with Bonnie because like the issue she experienced was like, she went from being like basically someone who probably as a child was called a monster. And well, and this is the first time her in her life, she's felt beautiful and she's flaunting it and people are giving her attention. And I mean, we see how YouTubers go from like 
you know, normal people to, you know, they become YouTube famous. And next thing you know, you're talking about how Jake Paul is getting arrested by the FBI and, you know, screw that guy. He's an awful human being. Right? Eh. And like for her, the change makes sense in a way. Like I can see that, like it's a little rush, but I, I dig it. Like it makes sense. But with Rochelle, she's just kind of a lot. But even then Nancy makes a comment when they're in the Mustang and she's like, those two, they're just idiots. And then they just laugh about it. And they're almost like, I feel like maybe what they were going for is they were drunk on the magic. Right. And nothing else mattered because they were just having fun and they were like intoxicated by it. Yeah, I could understand that. I think that kind of comes off as very truthful. Like they do, they do come off like they are sort of drunk on the power of the magic, mm-hmm. especially Nancy. Yeah. Nancy goes bananas and like, one of the fir- like first things she does is she gives her stepdad a heart attack, which is, he seems like a really bad piece of work, but like they have this huge, like it's this one, they, well, how does she go to this big expensive school when it's never shown she's a great student. So she's not like on a scholarship, but she goes out to a very expensive private school, despite being essentially trailer trash. But two, I mean, even, don't get me wrong. I'd love the windfall, not for those reasons, but I did check. They get $175,000 from his life insurance policy, which is a big policy. Uh, that works out to $289,000 today, which is a lot of money, but like- They start living like millionaires. Yes. Yeah, they're yeah. Instantly they're millionaires. And I'm like, I know things were cheaper in the 90s, but uh, you guys are living in a- like, but. It also kind of holds true that like people who don't know how to manage their money are very quickly poor again. I mean, that, that's that's definitely fair because I mean, they, they get a nice condo. They buy an expensive Mustang. A jukebox. And, and a jukebox. Yes. <laughs> and then the rest of like if you they go into Nancy's room and Nancy's room is still like the crap mattress that she had in yeah. the trailer and then like no furniture. So, I mean, it's like they spent all their money on the condo, the car and the jukebox. Yeah. But even then, like the the mom is like, I saw this couch. I had to have it. And that is one ugly ass couch. It is an ugly ass couch. Her outfit is very ugly, too. Yeah. But yeah. again, like I think they're going for like she has no taste like she's trailer trash like they're giving her that like she's listening to old country music that's what trailer trash does like they're trying to give her that image and honestly she is very clearly made out to be alluded to especially since they're i think trying to get the pg-13 like her the stepdad does make a comment that like nancy's dad is just some john right yeah so it's alluded to that nancy's mom is a sex worker but again, as a 90s teen movie, they're not going to come out and say it. It's just alluded to that that's who she is as like what her her job is, which, again, in the 90s, carried a much different, I would say, stigma than it does today. They, they make it very clear that, you know, Nancy's stepdad is just he's there and he's a bad person. And her dad is just some rando. Well, he, the stepdad also like looks up her skirt at yeah, one yep. point too. Yeah, so yeah. He's, he's a bad person. So I was not upset when he died of a heart attack. And he abuses his wife. So yeah, ew. No. Yeah. I did like though that when, when they got the, the notice that they were getting the money, that the, they took a minute to be like, oh, and then they like celebrated, mm. which 
that's that's fine. I get it. I, like that, for the movie, that's. But the guy who's like telling them, informing them, he's like, "Hooray!" Like right along with them. To be fair, like in that position, I've watched enough forensic files to know that he probably went right back to like his boss and was like, "So we're going to investigate this one a little more closely." Right. Uh, someone has done something. Double check for poison. These ladies probably killed it, but then they, they're. There'd be nothing that they could prove because he literally died of a heart attack. Right. So when they prove it without a doubt that it was a heart attack, I mean, they're in the money. But like, I'm sure that guy saw enough of people with windfalls of big amounts from to see all sorts of reactions. Yeah. Well, speaking of Nancy and weird reactions and stuff, the scene where they're on the beach, there there was two things about this scene that I actually... I took note of one was because I really liked it. And the other was because it was just really weird. And the first was when they're doing their speech to the towers, the watchtowers and, and everything like that. She says something to the effect of, I take you into me. And then one of the other girls corrects her to us. And then she says us. And that's the first real moment where you're like, oh, okay, she's in this for herself. Yeah. She doesn't really care about the others. Yeah. And I thought that that was a great bit of foreshadowing, which I probably would not have caught had I not seen the movie before. But then the other part that I wanted to bring up was right after this happens, she gets struck with lightning and then it cuts to the next day and there's no acknowledgement that she got struck by lightning. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like if they had even added a scene where she was like, are you okay? Like all of the girls were, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I am. And then they went to the next day. That'd be one thing. Or even if like, they showed the lightning hitter and they all got knocked out and then woke up the next but morning. They they're just waking up on the beach. Yeah. But they're just like, oh, okay. She got struck by lightning. Let's take a nap. Like it was just, there was literally no connecting tissue between Nancy gets struck by lightning. Let's all wake up the next day. Yeah, exactly. It's funny because we were watching another movie that we're probably never going to review on this podcast, but we were watching Bambi with our oh, son. And, and it reminded me of how much of an odd break it is between Bambi's mom dying and then all of the birds being like, la, 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 because that's what it cuts from is yeah, Bambi's mom very- is dead to la, 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 la. And, and it's the same thing where it was just like lightning bolt to Nancy. Oh, let's wake up. Guess we're awake now. Yeah. yeah like show them all get knocked back or something. Yeah. But I remember like, because Nancy is so cool. She's so bad, but she's so cool. Cool. And I remember Teresa being Bulk like, is amazing. I agree. She's great. And like, but with the sharks on the beach and like, I was, I've always been like so sad that the poor sharks died. And, yeah. But like, you know, they, they were, I feel like they did a good job with the shark effects. Like yeah. the actual. Oh yeah. The sharks look great. The sharks yeah, look definitely. great. Like, I know we talked about the butterflies, not really, but the sharks look great. So well, that, they were practical effects. So. I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure those sharks are practical. Yeah. I know that we've talked about before is that, the practical effects are the things that hold up where the CG effects and this movie does, especially in the climactic scene in Sarah's house. Are you talking about the snake hands? The snake hands. <laughs> like, yeah, the snake hands look a little off, but like the rest of the bugs and snakes and lizards being there, that looked like amazing. Like that was all practical. Yeah. And like practical holds up way better than CGI. And I wonder what we're going to say about movies like Avatar in 20 years. Where, like, when it came out, the CGI was mind-blowing, but in 20 years, is it going to be, like, is it going to not hold up? Because, mm-hmm. like, this one, I remember watching it as, a, like, a tween teenager, and I've always been like, oh, like, look at, like, all the effects, and, like, loving it, and watching it now, I'm like, yeah, 
that's not great, but the practical stuff always holds up. But one of the things about, because they're, when they're still friends, one thing that I noticed that was very 90s is they're like, oh, if you could like change one thing and blah, blah, blah. And Nancy goes, I'd have a smaller ass. And it's like, that's so 90s. If that, well, they are, they are doing a reboot and it's going to be like, oh, I want a bigger ass, yeah. you know, because like, now that's the thing is to have like the big, like Kardashian butt. So it's very, it's one of those things where you wouldn't hear that in a movie now. You'd hear, I want a bigger butt. I've heard about the uh, potential remake. I've heard that they're apparently they've already been filming for a few months. I'm interested to see what comes out of it. I know a lot of people tend to automatically poo-poo on remakes, and I understand that mindset, but I usually like to gr- try to give things a chance. I am I have to say I'm intrigued by the cast of the new remake. Uh, there's a couple of interesting uh, non-gender, binary, and genderqueer folks that are who, uh, apparently going to be in this, and I'm really interested in checking out. So there's something about that that I'm interested in. I hadn't paid much attention to it until we watched this movie. And then I was like, oh, right, they're doing a remake. It's coming from Bloomhouse, which has done some really good things. Yeah. And then I saw David Duchovny is in it. Oh, yeah. And now I'm sold. Is he the dad? Probably. He's an undisclosed role. And I don't care if he's playing a teacher. I don't care. He's the crazy guy on the street with the snake. I don't care what he is. What if he's Skeet Ulrich? Oh, God. No, he can't be Skeet Ulrich. (laughs) (laughs) He's older than Skeet Ulrich. Uh, Oh, God. But yeah, I'll watch it for David Duchovny alone. So they've got my ticket. If, you know, we can actually go to the movies at that point. Yeah, if only. Hi there, future Mike popping into the show for a quick second. We were talking about the craft reboot, remake, sequel kind of thing. And at the time that we recorded this, the trailer hadn't dropped and the release date hadn't dropped. And since we've recorded this, both of those things have happened and the movie's actually come out and we've already watched it. So Yeah, we did. Yeah, so... Our criteria is is we review things when they're 20 years old. So we'll review this movie in 20 years. So see you in 2040. And then we can tell you what we thought of the craft legacy. No, 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 no. We're, we're going we're gonna to talk about it for a minute now. A, because I want to. And B, because it's not going to meet our criteria in 20 years. Oh, okay. Well, we'll talk about that at the end of the show after we finished our discussion about this movie. Sounds good. Speaking of... Skeet Ulrich, one of the things that I found with Sarah that kind of signified her as different from the other girls, even though we know she's different because she's like the main character, is that after everything, Sarah is still convinced that Chris is a decent guy underneath like the macho yeah. facade and everything. Oh, God. And like just her looking for the good in people is like signifying that she's a good person, which I like, but it's like, no, he was not a good person, honey. No, You're he naive. was not. Like, he was a, he was a, a douchebag. Like, he tried date raping you. Like, no. no. Seriously, yeah. no. But, like, I found the spells that they do in, nothing was overly, like, outlandish, like, with what they did, like, the glamours and everything. And they did have a consultant on set, like, all the time to make sure that everything they did was actually, like, it tied into real Wiccan beliefs and like rooted in parts of reality, which I I think really helped it in terms of none of the spells are like Harry Potter, like Wingardium Leviosa and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's all very like the glamor and like mind trickery rather than like 
craziness, like absolute like balls to the wall, like just bonkers magic, you know, like it's, it's more like, obviously it's not subtle, but it's more subtle than that. I actually did write down a Harry Potter note. Oh boy. When they were looking in the books and the pictures started moving, I'm like, that's like a Harry Potter book. Yeah. Well, it's not really, they weren't really moving. It's just like, I know it was in their brains or whatever. Magical abilities. That's actually one thing I wanted to discuss with you guys. Because one of the long-term theories of the movie that is never officially declared, and who knows, maybe the sequel will or remake will officially declare it, is that none of the other girls actually ever had any magical ability. And it was only ever Sarah. And the other three were basically leeching power off of her, which is why at the end she is able to become so powerful is because they're not leeching off her anymore. Or they all had magic. I could go off that belief. That I, I could believe that, that that everyone was just leeching off of Sarah. Yeah, I could see that. Like, I feel like Nancy probably had some. And being with Sarah just made it stronger. I don't think the other two ever really did. Because, like, Sarah's the one who worked the spell on Rochelle by tying the hair into her hair. So it was really Sarah doing the the spell not rochelle um as for bonnie i don't know because it, it was rochelle who was rubbing her back right or was it was that sarah who's rubbing like where she's going manon take my scars take my scars take my scars and, oh jeez was it sarah remember. rubbing her back no i can't remember my notes got a little sloppy because of the wine because of the wine <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense i i feel like that that theory works in the sense of like Nancy gets her own powers when they they do that thing on the beach and she gets shot with lightning and yeah yeah so I mean it, it holds up in that sense because the other two don't even have any power once once no one has any because like once they're evil near the end you know they could be leeching the power off of Nancy at that point yeah and then once she takes Nancy's power away by beating Nancy then they all lose their power kind of a thing yeah the, the one thing also that I thought was really funny is you could track how evil a character was I, I say evil but I mean like dark slash witchy was based on how much of their school uniform was not being used <laughs> so like the less they dressed correctly, like if they, if the less out, the more out of uniform they were, the more like they, witchy. The more they broke dress code. Exactly, that's exactly it. Yeah. The more they broke dress code, the more they were evil. Well, they were rebellious. Mm. So like it, it, you're not going to wear your uniform exactly perfectly when you're a rebel. Well, at the end, when Sarah is is full good, she's completely wearing her normal uniform and not any any accoutrements. You know, no fun oh, berets that's or tracking. Yeah. Well. But speaking of clothes, one thing I did put at the end was when. Bonnie and Rochelle show up at Sarah's house and they're like, do you still have any magic? What was the costume? I miss the 90s and I miss a lot about the 90s, but Bonnie's outfit in the scene, I do not miss about the 90s. She's wearing some sort of long silk striped pajama top with like green cargo pants. Yeah, that was that was a choice. Um, that was a bad choice. <laughs> I think the outfit, the outfit that made me go, oh my god, ugh, that was like the the worst of the nineties was uh Sarah's outfit in the final act. Uh, she's wearing the turtleneck with a like a hoodie. Like I was like, what the hell was that outfit? Like so nineties. I wore a lot of turtlenecks in the nineties. 
I used to love turtlenecks. Like, it wasn't enough that you were wearing a turtleneck, but you were wearing a turtleneck with, like, like it's, it, I don't think it's necessarily a hoodie, but it was, like, a zipped up, a zipper, like, sweatshirt thing, like, sweater jacket thing. And I'm like, girl, it's yeah. Los Angeles. What the hell are you? Are you that cold? It's Los Angeles, for God's sakes. <laughs> well, and, like, oh, so many scenes with people walking around with their, their like, sweatshirts tied around their waist, which, like, <laughs> yep. no one does anymore. I do it, but I'm a mom, so it's okay. <laughs> Yeah, nobody's judging your fashion skills, that's for sure. Yeah, nobody nobody cares what I wear anymore, but like a high school girl, she might do the the plaid shirt as like a look, but you know, not not a hoodie like that or a jacket. That's just not gonna happen. That's just, you know, not flattering and not cool. Mm-hmm. So that the nineties but I miss the nineties fashion so much. I can't wait for Jinko jeans to come back. Oh god. I'm I- telling you, Billy Eilish is gonna bring them back with all her baggy clothes. Mm-hmm. All about it. Bring up that my so-called life fashion style. Oh, yeah. Well, I've already seen in stores where it's like the flower print dress over the t-shirt is like a thing that's been sold the last couple of years. Oh, Blossom. Yes. That's very Blossom. Or if you want to go even more obscure, uh, that's very uh, Clarissa explains it all. Oh, yes. And like fun hats. Fun oh, yeah. hats need to make a comeback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have any other thoughts about this movie. I don't know if there's any notes that you have. I, that you- I, I just love this movie. You could just talk about it all night, huh? Well, it's just there's so much good about like the relationships between the four of them. Like, not, not as, there's a lot of depth between the relationships between them and how like these girl clicks, they work in high school and how malicious they can be and how competitive they can be. Cause like Nancy, the moment she has competition for, and she senses the competition from Sarah, the moment Sarah walks in the door and she wants nothing to do with her. And then when she gets like, she's like, okay, fine. We have to be like together. She is always trying to undermine Sarah and like, just be like, no, no, no. I'm the queen of this clique. I'm the queen bee. You are uh, a backup. And don't you, dare forget your place i own this fucking scene don't mess with me yeah exactly she's like i'm queen goth you are nothing keep that in mind and then so when sarah starts to have like her own power and starts to like speak out against nancy nancy immediately goes to well i'll just kill you if you continue and like <laughs> like that's such a thing too like oh I'll, I'll just i'll just kill you like what the fuck excuse me but at the same time like there's been like in high school like it obviously never happened to me, but it does happen where these girls and cliques have murdered each other. And that's just playing crazy. But even then, it's it's not so much like it's a reflection of like the reality of being a girl in high school. It's like I wasn't told I would be murdered for speaking out against the girl who was like the leader of our clique. But it was basically like made very clear if you, you know, cross her your social standing will be murdered and your friendships will be ta- uh, cut off. And it's not even like crossing her in the sense of like, you you know, you're like, I want to do harm to her in any way. It's like, oh, I was talking to the boy she likes. Oh, you know, I didn't realize that like, I pointed out something she said was incorrect or anything like that. These like clicks with women, like this movie basically, it's like Heather's. Yeah. It's very much like it because there was Heather's. It, it definitely does have some elements of Heather's. Yeah, there's Heather's in the 80s and the craft in the 90s and Mean Girls in the 2000s. And it is very much of these reflections of it's just with each one, they get a little more toned down almost because Heather's, they murder each other. 
the craft, they get a couple other people murdered and then one person gets locked away and in Mean Girls, somebody gets hit by a bus. I know some people who would uh, not disagree with you, but they would they'd also add in another movie from the 90s, Jawbreaker. Yes. Oh, I love Jawbreaker. I feel like Jawbreaker almost appeals to a slightly older audience, though. Mm. Like people who were like in college and went through it previously, whereas like The Craft and Mean Girls and Heathers were kind of like directed at current students. Plus, the movie does have its very much sort of big cult fan base. I mean, yes. it's a it's a it's a quote unquote teen movie written by a gay man, so like that that already says cult like right there. The whole oh, I love Jaw and the Sat Tracker on that one is a banger too. Jawbreaker's great. Have you watched Jawbreaker? I have not. Oh, it's so good. I also am sad to say it as much as I'm a bit of a cult movie nerd myself and all that jazz. I've also not seen it. And I'm uh, very oh, ashamed of myself because so I've seen Heathers. I've seen all the other big critically acclaimed teen movies. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a sucker for teen movies and teen dramas and all that garbage. I've seen Heathers. Love that movie. Heathers is fantastic. I'm always surprised at how dark that movie gets uh, and how mean that movie gets. And this movie does have a lot of elements related to those sort of teen movies. And I really liked that about, I really liked that about this movie. Yeah. And like, you see, like, it's a constant, but like the fact that the same themes resonate decade after decade after decade with, you know, teenage girls, it's like, it is a reflection of a society as it were, but it is, it is something that like, unfortunately, and it's just as much as like, yes, we can, there's so much we can do to improve and all that, but like there, there is the element of human nature to it where competition drives us mm-hmm. and the competition between these women drives them to the competition for Chris's affection, the competition for power, like all this stuff. Like it resonates through these movies. It resonates in real life. I know as a, a teenager at, in the nineties and the early two thousands, I was like, well, this is my life just without the cool magic. And murder. Can I also just admit that Feruza Bulk's performance just kicked my ass? Like every oh, single time I so watch good. this movie, it's just like, man, I always, I've always liked and enjoyed Feruza Bulk and enjoyed her performances in various movies. But like, goddamn, her performance in this movie just kicks my ass. Just look, her staring into your eyes. If you pause the movie, just like, oh my god, oh, just. Ooh, just you feel that 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 inner tinge of just like I will fuck you up just in in her performance. It's just I, I, I can't take it. Like her performances are always just so just out there and fanatical and just fantastic and just out there. Like she kicks my ass every single time I watch this movie. Yeah, and like there's I really can't think of anyone in the 90s who could have played this role beside her. She is this role. Yeah, no. No one else. Like, I've seen people that almost get onto her level, like, just about, but, like, not even close. Like, she's on her own level of, like, a performance. Yeah, like, she she does such a good job. But, like, she honestly, like, as much as Sarah's the main character, Nancy carries the movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I love the cast for this movie. Like, it's a bunch of who's who's and like, like, oh my god, yes, like Rachel True, Nev Campbell, woo, you know, Cliff DeYoung, Skeet Ulrich, you know, Robin Tunney, Feruza Balk, but it's just like, especially Feruza Balk. Like, holy 
crap her performance is just out of this world. Yeah, like she she's so just great in it and like her mentally just falling apart through it. Like, oh, she does great. I I wish she was in more stuff now because she she really is like a great actress. She just she was very much like just a 90s. I know they've they've been doing a few they've been doing a few like reunion interviews for the movie and I haven't seen her in many of those. I'm like, damn it, Faruza, please come back. I wanna see you Oh, I know. I wanna see you come back for one of these. I mean, they got Rachel True and now she's like owning it and she's being all amazing and like I follow her on Twitter and I'm like, God damn it, Rachel True, you're so fantastic. But like <laughs> I'd love to see Faruza Ball come back to one of these interviews and just lay it all out, you know, like she was so excellent. Yeah. But I feel like, especially with this and the water boy, she's very much 90s. Like she, she kind of got herself like pigeonholed as like a 90s character and has been stuck there. She's been continuously acting for decades. And I'm so happy that she is because she, she's a great actress and I love seeing her. I love seeing her performances. Like she's a definitely solid actress. I love seeing her performances and it's just like, I'd love to see her have a nice little comeback, like a, a nostalgia comeback. Yeah. I feel like you two could go on oh, all probably, night but about probably, Faruza Balk. I could gush about this but, all night, but if we have to get to like rating this, then like I'm okay with that. <laughs> you don't like you if you have to cut me off, that's fine. Like I could gush about this and the facts about the movie and the cast like all night. Well, normally what we do before we get into our rating ratings is we take a look back what the critics in 1996 thought about this movie. So, Laura, why don't you fill us in on some past reviews for The Craft? So, this movie on Rotten Tomatoes actually has our lowest audience score yet at 65% positive, but not the lowest critical score, that's Billy Madison, at 55%. So, not a big critical winner on either, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But Roger Ebert, while not a fan of the, the effects, we always go back to Mr. Ebert. He's probably like the most famous movie critic. He did praise the acting and said the, the actresses uh, did a fantastic job. One of my favorite reviews I did come across was Rita Kempley of the Washington Post called it a brew of Hawthorne, Heathers, and Hollywood Hocus Pocus Ooh. that was nonetheless a bubbling mess of a movie that leaves us more bothered than bewitched. And I say, screw you, Rita Kempley. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I almost liked the beginning of her uh, review to that, but I, yeah, I don't agree with their overall point of view on it. Yeah, no, she she's very wrong. Yep. Well, getting into our reviews. I feel like this is going to be like a four out of five Dennis recommend kind of situation yeah. here. <laughs> so I'll let you guys go first. Well, I give it double butter with a drizzle of caramel and some M&Ms and <laughs> just like right. uh, bottomless refills. This oh, movie nice. is amazing. I love, I love that we have this three point scale. And every week you somehow manage to add more to the scales. <laughs> so it's I like, like a, it. Yeah. I, yeah. I love this movie. This movie holds up for me, nostalgic or not. This is a, honestly, I feel like if I sat down and watched this movie for the first time, like today, I'd still love it. It resonates with me. Mm-hmm. And for you, Chibi? 
Well, I think this movie holds out, still holds out, I think has an interesting feminist message. I think especially for being written and directed by uh, two men, I think this movie still has a very interesting feminist uh, viewpoint. I think the cast is just fantastic. I, I, I love the direction of the movie. There's a lot of really just great moments in it. I um, loved watching this movie. But overall, I don't think the movie's as good as I want it to be. But I still think it's such a damn good watch. Like, it's such a damn good watch. If you want some, like, good, a good slice of the 90s, like, this is definitely a movie to watch and to experience. Uh, experience the wicked awesome soundtrack. Experience the actors of the time. Experience, I mean, experience Fruza Bulk. That right there. Like, just experience her. Like, holy crap, that performance. Funny that you use a popcorn rating scale for your reviews because, uh, fun fact, popcorn is literally one of my favorite foods. Like, it's not even just one of my favorite <laughs> snacks, like snacks or junk foods. Popcorn is one of my favorite, like, foods, period. Like, ever since I was a little kid, like, any way I could have popcorn microwaved, bagged, done in a kettle, uh, kettle cooked, uh, you know, over the, over the stove. Like, any way I could have popcorn, I would have popcorn. So, um, my review of this i hope you don't mind if i i am not trying to mangle this in any way is i'm gonna give this remove this movie a uh, jumbo bucket of lightly buttered salted finely salted popcorn the ah, base, i love it the basis of this movie is already great because it's popcorn but the salt is the cast is it, it's finely salted just like the cast finely salted and that butter is just the butter is the 90s. The butter is that 90s magic. It's it's the it's the awesome just witchcraft and magic in this movie. The butter is the soundtrack. The butter is is uh is just that nice little glaze all around the kernels where it's not too much butter, but it's just enough where you get that delicious hit. Every single you get that delicious salt and that salted hit every time you eat it. <laughs> and, and I agree. And Thank now you. the tar and feathers come out. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm readying the divorce papers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I am going to go with a burnt popcorn. <laughs> no! <laughs> I know you, but, you didn't think this movie was that much, but I didn't think it'd be a burnt popcorn. Jeez. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, I'm not looking at burnt popcorn in the sense of like, this is a bad movie and I don't like it. Because that's not true. Okay. This movie, it, I saw that I do not like this movie. I'm looking at it in a burnt popcorn in the sense of, I don't hate this movie. I don't like this movie. So when it comes to recommending this movie, I can't because I have really no no feeling for it, I guess is the best way to put it. So the only reason I'm rating it a burnt, and I, I told you because we were talking about this a couple days ago, I was really going back and forth on my rating. And, and I'm, I'm settling on to burnt because it's not a movie that I, I would recommend. If somebody came to me and they're like, you know, what's a 90s movie that, that, that you would recommend? I'm probably going to go with something else. So that's why I'm rating it burnt. I'm not rating it burnt because it's bad. I'm rating it burnt because it's not something I would recommend. Is that fair? Fair to say? I, okay. I feel like that's... I'm kind of surprised that you're still going with burnt and not just going with like overcooked popcorn where like the basis of it is still good, but there's a few kernels <laughs> that are just a little too overcooked. They're they're not burnt, but you just they just have that weird awkward aftertaste. Like it, it, it tastes like dirt almost. 
I kind of feel like your rate, the way you're explaining your rating is more like plain popcorn because like I would never recommend someone just get plain popcorn. But it doesn't make it bad. I would eat plain popcorn. I love plain popcorn. But would you, if you were to recommend some popcorn to someone, would you recommend the double butter or the plain? Okay, well, here's the thing, though. When we talked about Top Gun, we both said it was a plain. But I said that I would still recommend Top Gun because there's a lot of stuff in Top Gun that's silly and fun. I don't have anything like that here. That's why I went with Burn, okay? I get it. There, there are. Don't get me wrong. There are parts of this movie I like. Like I told you about the scene with the fire where she says me instead of us. Like that stuff that I like. Some of the jokes in it really land for me. Like when they're sitting around and watching Bewitched. That's the stuff like that 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 I do enjoy. But it, it, it's not enough for me to be like, especially in the case like like Top Gun. There's a lot of that movie that that I can still go. You should watch it because this is in it and it's cool. But there's still parts of Top Gun that I was like, this didn't age well, and it's just meh, you know. So it's that's that's why I rated it a burn because I, <laughs> you guys very much were all about the flourishes. I I somehow managed to be very boring and stick to the three the three step rating of burnt, plain, or butter. <laughs> so. I mean, that's just me. I guess that's my that's my own. I mean, you're wrong. But <laughs> I, mean. I told you it's four out of five dentists recommend kind of a situation. But I, I think that that's a good place to stop here. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was great. This is the first time we've ever podcasted with you. I would definitely love to have you back if we had another movie on our plate. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciated being on here. I had a blast. I once again, I said earlier, but I love the concept of this podcast, and I really loved just talking the '90s and just going back and looking at this movie and really seeing it for what it is. I had such a blast. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Sure. Well, if you're on the Twitter universe or Instagram verse, I'm on, uh, I'm at Chibi UFO. You can find me posting about uh, old obscure video games, horror movies, queer stuff, and disability activism, and all that sort of stuff. Sounds fantastic. I'll definitely have to check out uh, a lot of the retro video game stuff because uh, that's that's, your... that's my wheelhouse more more than yeah. more than anything. Nice. Uh, so for this week's episode of Burnt Popcorn, I have been Mike. I'm Laura. And for next week's episode, <gasps> normally I would just say the name of the movie, but we got to take this to the court. We got to take this to movie court because the criteria is it's got to be number one or critically acclaimed. We had the exception in the case of mega movies like like Titanic or Star Wars movies. So here's the criteria on this movie. I'm not going to tell you the name of the movie yet. It was number two at the box office. Ooh. It was not during the same period as a Titanic. The movie that opened that was number one ahead of it was Breakdown, starring Kurt Russell. Oh. So not exactly a big blockbuster. You're losing me here. Oh my goodness. The the movie was in the top ten for a very long time. Okay. I would say it is culturally relevant. It, this movie became much like Army of Darkness. It was a movie that was very popular on home video. It has two sequels. I know which movie it is. One of those movies, you just looked it up, didn't you? I one did. of those movies, the it's the, that sequel, both of their sequels were number one at the box office. Ooh. The first sequel made more money than the entire the first movie's entire theatrical run in its opening weekend. It yep. was the first sequel to ever pull this off. Is Austin Powers International Man of Mystery. Oh my I actually God. I fully 
I'm fully on board. And here's why. Because I, I worked in a video store for some time before, well, after this movie came out. But I remember. But that movie was kind of the first big movie that had its biggest success on VHS and home rentals. And that's what led to a sequel being made. So on that alone, it is culturally very significant. So I'm on board. Perfect. If you had said no, I just would have picked Austin Powers by who shagged me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, my goodness. What a choice. No, I'm excited to watch Austin Powers next week. Beautiful. Beautiful. So then we hope you'll join us on our next episode for Austin Powers. But till then, we'll talk to you guys again soon. Bye. Thanks so much. Okay, so that's the end of our regular episode. I feel bad. I apologize right off the bat to Kyle because it was kind of too short notice between when we watched the movie, when you decided we wanted to talk about the movie, and when the episode was actually going to go up to be able to organize Kyle coming back and joining us. I don't even know if Kyle has seen Craft Legacy at this point. Yeah, we kind of did all this in a whirlwind at about, what, 12 hours? Very short notice to expect of anyone. But it'll be a nice surprise for Kyle. Yeah, when, you, uh, when, when Kyle listens to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so you want to talk about this now. Briefly. Yeah, we're not going to, we're not doing an entire second episode on top of this episode. God, we're just giving no. a few minutes on this. No, because I, I feel like this is the first movie we've done that's really had a remake. And not... Uh, Remake is a, it's it is half a remake, half sequel yeah. by the sounds of it. It's a reimagining sequel. Well, judging by what happens in it. It is. Are we getting no spoilers? No, no, no spoilers. We're not going to spoil it. No spoilers. But there, there is enough to this movie that makes it a sequel. But there is enough to this movie that is feels so departed from the original. It's more of a remake. Yeah. Like the, it there's... really checks both boxes yeah because there is a hundred percent things that happen that are continuations of the original so that makes it a sequel but the tone is so different mm -hmm. and the vibe is so different that i don't think i could call it a sequel right so it, it kind of lands somewhere in between which for me personally i would say hurts it mm -hmm. but for you the one who didn't quite Love this movie as I did. The, the original craft. The original about. craft. I, I like this one a lot better. <laughs> so pros and cons. Speaking of liking it more or less. Yeah. Currently with 76 reviews from critics, it holds a 47% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is higher than I expected. Mm -hmm. And an audience score of 36%. <laughs> Which I would say is probably our lowest rated movie now, mm -hmm. even though it's not really a movie that we've talked about. Right. But yeah, it's um, it's something. So just some quick thoughts I had on this movie. Again, no spoilers. Mm -hmm. One, it does something totally, like we said, does something totally different from the original, but still ties it together. So... Overall, I would consider that a net positive mm -hmm. because you don't want to watch just the same movie. So I would say good. Despite my absolute love for him, David Duchovny phones in his performance for a good chunk of this, especially near the end. You could tell he was like, well, paycheck's paycheck. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, Michelle Monaghan does a great job. I feel like whether it's like, it's n definitely not Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise, but she's still acting her heart out in this and doing a great job. I, I liked her in this. Negative. Yes. Too many sparkles. 
There's a lot of sparkles. They even talk about Twilight at one point. And so they're they're all about sparkles. It's true. There is a direct comparison to Twilight in the film. Yeah. I liked that because I, I would say the original did focus on some issues that were relevant to teen girls in 1996. This one focuses on some issues that are relevant to teenagers in 2020. Mm. I'm not going to get into what those are because some of them are, I would say a lot of them are spoilers. Right. So I would say, again, that I I would say it's a big positive. I I think people who are the age this movie is really directed at probably would appreciate it. Last point in the negative is ridiculous. Like it's just, (laughs) it's, it's ridiculous. Like it's just what, what are they even doing? It's overall decent, mm-hmm. I would say. But I think my main quarrel with the film is that even as someone who, like, it, I don't think it knows who it wants to direct itself at. Is it directing itself at fans of the original or the daughters of fans of the original? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. So... It almost feels like this movie is meant to be viewed most and like made for a very small subset of teen girls whose mothers loved the craft and made them watch it a couple years ago when they were old enough for it. And then their mom going, did you see there's a new craft coming out? Let's watch it. And it's directed at those teen girls, (laughs) which I don't think is a very large audience. I'm very curious to see how it's doing because it it's not in theaters it's not like a theater movie it's not you can't buy it on dvd it literally is only available as early access i spent 24.99 canadian to own this movie <laughs> and i will watch it again but i'm just kind of like it sounds like you want to watch it out of spite almost there is a little bit of that to it but at the same time i didn't hate watching it does, does the spite come from the fact that I liked it more than, than the original? No, somewhat, but no, that's not the main source of spite. It's just, like I said, they, they didn't try hard enough, I would say, to capture the real essence of the original craft. That movie was lightning in a bottle for an outcast teenage girl in 1996. Like, as someone yourself who was never an outcast teen girl in 1996, I don't expect you to understand but this movie spoke to a lot of young women the craft did like it really did it meant a lot to a lot of people and still does mean a lot to a lot of people and i don't think this movie has the same draw okay well as for me i can't really get into why i like this movie without really spoiling the crap out of it so i'll just say that it subverted my expectations because I was really going into this movie expecting it to be the craft 100% all over again from start to finish with maybe a small difference here and there. But that's not what it was. And that's why I liked it more because I was waiting for it to be something it wasn't. And then because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, I enjoyed it more. Does that okay, make sense? That's fair. I would say that's very fair. Yeah. So even though even though this is a little bonus bit and you said this movie will not meet the criteria to ever be reviewed on this show, what the hell? Let's review it. Real quick. What, what would you give it? 
Well, I'd still watch it, but it's burnt popcorn. <laughs> I'd give it a plane. Wow. <laughs> like, I'll watch it again. I'm I'm glad I owned it, but not $24.99 Canadian glad I owned it. Uh-huh. But it's not good. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it's good either. That's why I didn't give it a, a double butter. I gave it a plane. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a three out of seven. <laughs> I and, Five out of seven being and, the best. And the difference. <laughs> and the difference. It's my favorite rating scale. And the difference too being, if you recall in our episode, I said I would not recommend the original craft. I would recommend this one. Because <laughs> what is it's, wrong with Because you? it's batshit stupid. Anyway. Well, there at you least go. that's your reasoning for it is that it's bad shit stupid not that it's good oh yeah no it's it's not like there, i like that it subverted my expectations but it was like it's 100 percent goofy I, I i even told you when we finished watching it i didn't like this I, this part really bothered me i why did they do this this needed way more backstory but there needs to be more exposition yeah oh definitely which is something i don't feel like most movies you can say about but I feel like the RoboCop remake was the same issue. They needed more exposition. Especially for the bad guy. Because in that movie, Michael Keaton plays the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And he's just suddenly a bad guy for no reason. And I remember saying, when we, because you made me watch that movie. Made you? You were like, let's go see it. Well, you probably made me. Uh-huh. Anyway, I remember being like, if Michael Keaton just had have said literally one line of blank, that movie would have made way more sense. And it's like, why Why have they not brought me on as a consultant? Yeah. So you should be a consultant on this movie as well? Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> this movie would have been way better. Uh, anyway, we said we weren't going to go too long. And, and I, I feel like we're starting to, to wade into... I kind of want to watch the original craft again. Okay. Well, you can go right ahead and watch that on your own. Maybe call up Kyle. Have a watch party. I'm just going to I'm just gonna go do something else. Yeah, probably for the best for all involved if you don't watch my movie again. (laughs) And on that note, that is going to, for sure, 100% do it for this episode of Burnt Popcorn. And we will talk to you again uh, soon. Bye. (laughs) Uh, I'm leaving that in, stinky burps. No.